Welcome to the Mind Chimp Podcast. First thing I want to know is when you was in school and you know you had your teacher and you'd ask you that, that, that simple question of what do you want to be when you grow up, what was the answer you'd given? Um, it was either going to be a teacher, a teacher either, or uh, a policeman. I think they were the two that I was I was going towards. Okay, and why? Why? Why teacher? Um, I think it's because the teachers that I'd had in primary school, especially, were 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 quite quite good, uh, quite nice actually. Um, and I thought that's maybe something I could do actually. Um, and a, poli- a policeman was probably more that um, that little boy thing where. You, know, you want to do stuff that's action packed. You know, you're chasing the bad guys. You know, you're catching the bad guys. Uh, that type of approach. So yeah, I'd probably say they, they were the two. What if I was asked, I'd say. Okay, cool. So when we got started, and, be- and in a sec we'll go over who you are actually from your point of view and stuff. But before I got you on the podcast, I asked you to kind of send me over your logline. So what is a summary of who you are, what you're about? Um, I, I would say I am the rebel, but with a cause. Okay, I like that. That's Rebel what I go with. Yeah. Um, explain that to me a little bit. Um, I suppose it's probably a part of my DNA that I I don't don't accept things if I don't agree with them. So um, if it's ways of working or um, injustice um, in you know in any any day life really, um, that then just uh, it, it makes me think I'm going to push the boundaries. And I think I want to push the boundaries to, to find out what you're about, what about, what about the situation, um, and find out the reasons why people feel the feel the way they feel. I think causes, um, both professional and personal. I think you know um, you see things on the television, you see things um, around the world, and you, and you think, oh, hang on a minute, I don't quite agree with that, um, and I want to do something about it. I'd probably say that's how I've um, how I run my life. And how I run my life professionally and personally, I would say. Okay, this is good. This is good. So, I guess, kind of, before we get into who you are, I just want you to do a favour for me. Yeah, and sure. I want you to pick three, uh, five, five numbers. Okay. From one to a hundred for me, please, if you could. Uh, okay, so this is uh, your randomness here, Danny. So, yeah. um, I'll go with seven. Okay. Nine. Nine. Twenty-three. Yeah. Twenty-six. Okay. And 86. 86. Awesome. We'll come back to that in a bit. They're not the lottery numbers you're going to put on tonight, are they? Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> and I promise I will share. Oh, okay. So, I know you. I know what you're about and kind of, and this is one of the reasons why I'm on a podcast, but, you know, people might not know who Mark is. And this this podcast is fundamentally about the people behind L&D and the people who have gone from L&D into something else and kind of knowing more about the people behind it. Okay. So, I guess my question is, is, Who's Mark? Who kind of maybe give us a bit of a brief of your bio, where you're from, what you did, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, okay. So um, I'm from Bury in Manchester, okay. um, and um, you know, quite a sort of normal upbringing. Um, primary school, high school, then on to college. But I always thought that education really wasn't for me, so I never really found something that I wanted to do. So at the age of sort of 17, 18, my mum said. And my dad said, you've got to start paying your way in the world. So <laughs> I, uh, I joined O2 uh, as in a call center on the phones. Um, and from there, the office environment was strange. Um, but I felt that, that I could really make a difference. So the company had opened the new contact center in Glasgow. 
and they said, do you, do, do you want to go and help set that up? So I was like, yeah, sure. They were like three months in a hotel. I was like, what's not to love about that? I suppose hotel food for three months, so I actually found that out, but um, that wasn't too bad. And that move, that move actually turned permanent because the role that I did there was supporting people, um, coaching them, um, take, uh, take calls and deliver customer service. So I, I naturally found a, a way into coaching and I sort of fell into it, but I liked the, the sense of getting the best out of someone. Okay. That's what I liked. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, the, the company didn't see coaching as a long-term model after a couple of years. And, and I fell into learning and development. It's something that I think a lot of people, when you talk to people in learning and development, is it something to set out to do. Some people, yeah, I wasn't. I didn't know what it was or, you know, what was included, but I knew it was respected in, in the organization. And when I fell into it, I then thought this is something I can make a career out of. Yeah. Um, so that was that was the the O2 days, and I moved back from Glasgow eventually. Um, and um, yeah, that that was really the O2. And then I moved away from O2 after 12 years, and I've moved here to Zen, where I'm Zen's channel development manager. So I'm responsible for the um, the, the learning and development for our for our channel partners, resellers, and, and wholesale. Um, and it's a different challenge, you know, different, different environment, different budgets, different ways of working. So it's really sort of challenged, it, challenged me and pushed me out of my comfort zone after being at this company for 12 years. Um, that's me professionally. Do, do you want to know more, more personally? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so uh, from a personal aspect, um, I'm married. I've been married for, um, she's going to listen to this, so I'll best get it right, three years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've got a, a little boy called Harrison. He's just turned two. So um, the dynamic of my, my life has changed over the last two years with, with Harrison arriving. It is the, the greatest job in the world. You know, channel development manager is good. Being a dad uh, is better. Um, but yeah, a huge amount of change over the last two years for myself personally. You no know, new job. My wife had a new job. Um, Harrison coming along, him starting nursery. And, you know, any of the parents that are, are listening, you know, when you put your... Uh, your child into nursery, not only do you pay the thousand pound plus a, a month for, for nursery fees, but they don't have to come home with snotty noses and colds and are ill. So there's those challenges as well. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. uh, and balancing a new job is just, yeah, it, it felt like the last sort of two years really is just getting enough sleep to survive the next day, really. Yeah, definitely. I think it's interesting you mentioned around L&D and how you kind of fell into it. Mm. You didn't know until you was in it, right? Yeah. It existed. Um, Kind of similar with me. I didn't. I didn't know L and D existed until I joined, and then I was like, "Wow, what what a great experience! What a great opportunity it is to help shape yeah. these people." But I think one of the things which just jumped out then, just from your statement, is you know, right now you're at Zen and you're kind of in a, a different position. Yeah. And one of the things which I know about you is development is massive, um, and you know, if, if it's not a challenge for you, and you're not developing, it's kind of it's deemed less of a priority. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you jumping into this role is is a great challenge for you. But I guess what? So you did twelve years at O2. Yep. What did you have various managers throughout O2? Yeah, it did. So you know, the the the, uh, the culture and the, probably the longevity of me being there just basically allowed me to have more managers. Um, you know, some good, some bad, some indifferent. I think um, the leaders that I had at Z, uh, sorry at O2. Um, I took something from each of them, good or bad. So things I would definitely look to implement in in, in my my profession, uh, and some that I would totally avoid. So yeah, I had, I had a different variety of, of leaders, I would say. 
Okay, so you you mentioned um, great managers and mm-hmm. then not so great managers. Yeah. What's what's a, what's been the biggest standouts from the great managers? What have you seen these great managers do? And then you kind of took away and gone from now on. I'm going to apply that in my role. I think it's been. I think it for me the biggest word. I think is being authentic. I think if you're authentic as a leader, you. You, you can give off confidence and you can give off that you've got a clear direction of the the, the, the path you're taking individuals or an individual um, or a group of individuals uh, down. And I think, you know, being authentic allows you to be um, just really open. And I, I mean open in a sense where you're open to, to being challenged as well. Yeah. I think there's been a number of leaders that I've worked with who, you know, they say they're open to be challenged, but when you challenge them, then they're not, they're not as open. Let's put it that way. Let's put it yeah. that way. But no, I think it's it's about being 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 as open as you possibly can. Okay. And I guess the flip side, what's the things what you've seen managers do other than not being authentic, where you think, whoa, I ain't go- I'm gonna I'm gonna learn how not to do this. What, mm. What's kind of what is there any standout memories from you? Yeah, I think. Yeah, it's it's, it's it's interesting you ask the question and say, what do you not want them to be? Well, I was going to say not authentic, but you've ruled that one out. So yes. um, not making it easy for me. I, I would say the, the, the traits that I don't like is is where um, it's that personal. I think it, it, they bring their personal element to it a bit too much. I think uh, their agenda potentially. I think that can be, can be, people can see through that. You know, if, the, if you've, you know, got a particular direction, you know, you want to take it, and it's not really that aligned to the company's beliefs. I think that that can be can be can be quite detrimental to, to a team. Um, I also think around you know a lack of clarity, so a poor communicator, someone who doesn't communicate how they're feeling at that moment in time or how they're feeling about a particular change. I would rather someone say, "Yeah, there is a change happening now, and this is how I feel about it." You know, I, I, you know, man, I think managers sometimes hide behind it and take the company line. I like it when they sort of use a little chink in the armor and they say oh, do you know what yeah this is actually how i feel right now and i don't feel comfortable with this but you know, we'll get through it together and it's a bit of a you know it's not an us and them mentality you're one of one of the, the team okay cool so you're in you're working with zen now and how long have you been here do you say is it around 14 months yeah just say? over a year now yeah 14 yeah. months so i guess question to you what's what's the one thing what you've seen oh sorry maybe it's a handful of things What's the things what you've seen in happening O2, which you're gonna bring to Zen? So and I guess I guess I know it's a sideways role, and it, it you know it's a, it's a very different challenge and a different set of goals. But you know what what are you gonna what are you gonna try and bring? Yeah, I, I don't necessarily think it's things that I've learned at O2. I think it's necessarily uh, yeah things from that company. I think it's how I've evolved or developed over that 12 year period. You know, obviously been involved with a number of people that have left the organization uh, that I've worked for, but I've kept in contact with, you know, I probably would take more from my network rather than from, from, from a particular business that I worked for. But implementing things here at, uh, at Zen, you have to weigh up what the, the company here wants, what the, you know, I, I work in, in the channel division, and you have to listen to what the MD is saying. You know, we've got a great MD here, Steve. And I think you have to listen to what what the management team is saying. You know, what is the direction that you know we're going in as a division, and, and how I support that. 
I think one of the things, the biggest things that I learned over the last couple of years, especially in learning development, and I think a lot of LD professionals don't see this, you have to be relevant, you have to provide value. And I think the biggest thing that I was, I've taken from my, my time at O2, I suppose, um, is probably you need to be a business person first and a learning development professional second. Um, and anyone that thinks that's different, I, you know, I'd love to go and, and have a discussion with them because you, you have to know the business. You can't just enforce your ways of working on that business. You have to become ingrained in it as part of the culture. It's just really important. You know, our O2 and Zen are like as, as culturally. Yeah, there are the similarities. The size is obviously not uh, the same. But yeah, absolutely. I think you need to understand where you provide the value. That's important. Yeah, massively. I think, you know, you mentioned they are, they are the same kind of in a, in a cultural way. I mean, coming into the office today, beautiful. I took a picture as I walked in. Yeah, it's nice. From the outside, it's lovely. I'm it's just, a nice place to work. It's got a nice feel-good vibe of coming in and actually... I mean, you come in, you know, within the Zen office, there's a couple of other people here. Yeah. For asylum. But it doesn't look like a prison where everyone's secluded off and there's big fences and, you know, you can't go in that area, you can't go in this area. No. Even though it's separate companies and there's rules to kind of where you can and where you can't go. Yeah. It doesn't feel like I'm in a prison. No, absolutely. And I think that is testament to um, to the culture here at Zen is, you know, one of the big things is happy staff. You know, if things impact the staff here, it is well thought through. Uh, and that is the that is the one of the biggest things that I've taken from here. You know, if I was to ever talk to someone who was looking to um, apply for a job here or, or you know, want to know about what Zen was about, you can't look any further than the values that it's got. You know, it's, it's, it's happy staff, happy customers, happy suppliers. They're the three things that we anchor ourselves to. Um, and you need to respect those. You need to respect those because that is what has brought the success over the years and, and the growth of the company. So, so what's I guess, and and I'll, I'll come back to Zen later yeah. on down the line anyway. But you know, looking when when we come into Zen, then you know the demographic of people is is far and wide. It doesn't seem like it's any male dominated. You know, different different ethnic backgrounds and stuff, which I kind of I, I kind of like. I think there is a thing of actually come to a company and have a look at the name, but actually get within the company and see what the day-to-day life is and obviously I've only I've only been here for an hour so far but it, it's just kind of got a nice it's got a bit of a family feel to it I find well that's funny you should say that there, there, there is actually a, I think a full family work here I think uh, a mum a dad a son a nephew an uncle I think yeah I think that, I think we have got a full range of, of family and I think what is what is really sticks out is the length of service here You've got people that I, you know, I work with quite closely. You know, 17 years, you know, 12 years, 13 years, 14 years. You know, they've worked here for a long time. People work at a company for a long time because they like it. That that sh- that shines through as well. The length of service here, I think, is 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 a real key to the success. So I guess you know, it and that for me does stand out. I guess you know when you go to some of these companies where they have their their brands and their values and kind of this is our culture and but you can be yourself here it's fine mm-hmm. but you just got to go towards our brand and values and culture. I guess what's if you had to sum up say the culture of Zen and their values or behaviours if that's what they have or maybe they don't have any and that's why it's so unique. But how would you sum it up? Maybe how would you sum up the culture 
I think it's it's a place where um, we we are big enough to get things done. So we really are a company of a size that can get, you know, um, you know, support our customers, <coughs> support our partners. But I think we are at a size where we can care. It's not lost, you know, in big corporates, you know, messaging to the to customers can get lost. It feels like the big man talking to the small man. I think Zen size and DNA allows it to, to, to talk at that common level. Um, that's what I take away from it. It's a, it's a really relaxed environment. Um, and, and like I say, the, the, the three things that it's anchored to is, is all around happiness. So for me, is that measurable? I think from a business sense, potentially not, but it works. And I think that's one of the things that I would, I would say here, you know, the, the, the DNA and the way the company's been made up through, um, through Richard, um, it's been successful and you have to respect that, respect that. Yeah, I think happiness is, is, is kind of a, a strange value to measure. Mm-hmm. When you say strange, it's not strange, it's a great thing to measure, but yeah. it's strange, it's hard to Oh yeah, to it's measure. not measurable, no. But then I guess if you look at your attrition rate, your sickness policy, and actually how are just people vibing within the, well, the company from a day-to-day basis, you know, I think a lot of people talk about, oh, we need to get these business measured outputs. Well, actually, how well are your people just engaging yeah. with you as a company? Mm. How, how well are people engaging with your learning? Are you even bothering? Are we having to force people to go onto this learning program or look at this resource or whatever? I think it's, it's, diffi- it's, it's difficult within my role because my role is 100% external. Yeah. So, you know, obviously I'm an employee of Zen and um, Zen Values, and but... The division that I work in is channel. So my role is to support uh, our channel partners where you know there's, there's over 300 of those and I'm engaging with their employees. So employees of other businesses um, to develop. It's a different, it's a different mindset, you know, um, doing in, training internally like I did at O2 is um, with some external elements. Um, it's completely different to this. It's a total different setup. Um, yeah, so my responsibilities are, are, are all external. And I guess the people who you're having these calls with and these conversations with, they have their own unique set of values and behaviours which they must align to, to them as a, com- as a company. Uh, yes and no. So you know, within the channel division, you've got you've got um, you've got big big com- big you know, big uh, big partners. I, I would say who um, are, are res- who've got resellers themselves. Um, and resell products on but you've also got the smaller businesses where they're family run so it's a wide spectrum so probably some businesses we talk to don't values and 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 things that don't really uh, resonate with 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 the bigger partners then then absolutely but what what is unique i would say is is the is is the alignment to zen it's one of the things that we we measure so you know yes we want partners that uh, can generate revenue we want partners that uh, you know, do business uh, and work with us, but ultimately there has to be a cultural alignment there, because that's where good business and good partnerships are, are based from. Is having working collaboratively with similar or the same values. Okay, cool. So, just taking it, changing gears a little bit. Mm-hmm. If you were to offer a book as a gift to three people, maybe it's friends, family. What book would you offer them? Wow. Um, one of the one of the books I would probably suggest is uh, a book called um, Win or Learn. 
Okay. So it's by John Kavanagh. Um, uh, for anyone that doesn't know John Kavanagh, he's uh, the coach for Conor McGregor, the UFC fighter. And their, their sort of rule is you either win or you learn. There's never losing involved. You can take you can take something away from from a loss, but you have to learn from it. So, what's the reason you lost? What's the reason that didn't work? It's really, you know, roughly based on the defeats that Connor had under. You know, he had he had some noticeable defeats and how they came back and learned from them, but also how um, the defeats to the the author John Kavanagh, you know, when he's trying to build the business and build his gym up, he got knocked back, knocked back, knocked back, knocked back. And now he trains probably, arguably, the number one uh, sportsman in the world today. So, yeah, I'd, I'd offer that one. So, I guess, when you look at Conor McGregor, mm-hmm. um, the one thing which he does, he has uh, this very brash personality. Yeah. And love him or hate him, mm-hmm. you just can't help but watch him. Yeah. Um, and I know he has his own mindset coach, which is fantastic, hence him walking into, bringing on this alter persona, mm-hmm. maybe his ego. So, I guess, what's... What's your mindset? How do you how do you how do you change your mindset? How do you how do you stop yourself from being maybe you're having a bad day at home, maybe you're not. Maybe you're coming into work or you're going to this kind of big meeting and you need to gear change and change your mindset to, to how is there any tips or anything you do beforehand or anything? It's not necessarily anything I do beforehand. I think my mindset is of, you know, I'm pretty sure there was an advert for, for Dr. Pepper for this, but it, it is what is the worst that can happen. You know, I was speaking to um, a friend who was going for a job interview a couple of weeks back, and she's like, oh, my God, I'm really nervous, and da 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 What are you nervous about? Well, you know, they might think I'm an idiot, and da 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 So? You're never going to see them again if you don't get that job. So what does that matter? And I think my mindset and the way that I tee things up is, what is the worst possible thing that can happen what is, what, is, what is it? And I think, you know, this might be quite dramatic, but it's not really a... I don't think I've ever said this out loud before. I think the mindset that I have is you think of the worst possible moment of your life ever. Is it going to be worse than that? No. So therefore, anything above that is surely a bonus. It might be difficult, but it's not going to be as worse as that worst, worst moment deep dark you know moment you might have been in in your life is it gonna be worse than that no standing in a meeting in front of mds no delivering or do a proposal or putting your ideas across it's not going to be as worse than it's not going to be as worse than that so for me that is the mindset people must have yeah yeah it's really interesting how many people and i guess one of the reasons why we do this podcast is one thing i've noticed when you speak to people and you get friendly with people in the industry any industry insert name they have this persona of, this is me, and I've got to talk with a very posh voice and pronounce my words very clearly. Is that your posh voice? That, that was my attempt. All right, I could have crossed Russian there to yeah. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, there's that as well. Um, but I guess the reason why I'm doing this is because, one, the rarity of it. It's raw. Yeah. It's authentic. I slur my words when I'm talking fast and when I'm chilled out and mm. relaxed, and I don't mind that. I don't mind that. Yeah, I can switch on a different persona if I need to present to you know, a client or something like that, I can do that. But actually what I've found in the past is you just being authentic and you being you, people buy into that because there's no there's no wall between you, there's no kind of awkwardness. And I think if you can capture that and put it into an interview situation, mm. then you're winning. You know, and I think there's an argument to say the people who, 
who say, for instance, are interviewing you. There's, there's a skill what they need to bring to yep. interviews to kind of get the best out of someone anyway. You know, fundamentally, we when, you, when you're interviewing, and I've done it in the past, when you're interviewing someone, you're basing someone around a 15, half an hour, 45 minute interview, however long it is, and like it's a snapshot to who they are. And yep, do you, should you take someone on from an hour snapshot? Probably not. But in the industry we're in, that's kind of what we do. So yeah. why don't we try and make it so, so super cool and flexible and relaxed that we see a true reflection of that person and not just an hour's prep what they've done? Yeah, I think it's an interesting point. I think going back to being authentic and being yourself, that's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. That's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And I think, if I'm honest, I struggle with that. I think, you know, what... I don't want to sort of sound like a bit cliche, but what you see is what you get. It is with me, you know? I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm an emotional guy. Um, and if things aren't going my way, people know about it. Yeah. And that's, you know, I used to be more, more emotionally intelligent than, than, than I have been over the number of years. You know, if something doesn't go my way or it isn't working, I, I sort of vent that externally. I used to be more internal with that. But, you know, and that can, that can come across potentially like, you know, you're a bit of a bull in a china shop or, so you need to temper that. But, I think ultimately it is that echo of being authentic to say, look, this is the way I feel about the situation. These are my views, but ultimately it's being well thought through. Yeah. That's important. Yeah, and there's an element of um, not kind of putting yourself out there, being authentic. There's a, there's, there's a true element of fear, I think, for that. You know, when you look at, say, something on LinkedIn, you know, social media, you pick your friends, but yeah. it tends to be on LinkedIn, you have these business associates. You know, you put a video out there, and there's an element of fear because you think, actually, is someone going to take me on for being raw, authentic, and being me? Or actually, are they going to want this polished pebble? And it, it's kind of... It, it, it's an interesting one about LinkedIn. I think I've got some views on LinkedIn. I've got some views on networking. And I've got, I've got some views on learning and development as a, as a whole on LinkedIn. You know, I'm all for inspirational quotes. You know, I'm all for, for, for a bit of a G up. But I don't want really to see them on someone's post every 25 minutes. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at people who post on LinkedIn and you, you have to, and I saw one today actually, and it, it, was, it, it wasn't an inspirational quote, but it was quite thought-provoking, is, you know, people sit in the background and just absorb. That's what I'd say my role is on LinkedIn and networking especially, is that I absorb. Um, I, do, do I give back enough on LinkedIn? Probably not. I don't, or in a network, I definitely don't. Is that because I'm fearful of putting my views across? No, I don't think it's fear. I think it's more, I think it's having the bandwidth to do it. Yeah. I think, you know, I'd love to post an article and I've been thinking about maybe doing it for a while now around, you know, my views on linear development and where it's going and how self-absorbent it can be. But what's what's the takeaway from that? Is it because I want to do it or is it because I can give back? And I think a point in time, in the next 12 months, I want to give back to the community that I work within on LinkedIn or, or or in a network as such. But I think that's to be the right time. You have to say the right thing. I think say the right thing at the right time. Don't just say it because you think someone wants to hear it. Yeah. I, I guess for me, I, I think there's a risk when you put yourself out there that you know, you, you're not going to tick everyone's box. You know, I, for the life of me, can't stand e-learning. I think it's absolutely pointless and nobody in the world has ever said, ooh, give me some more e-learning. Yeah, yeah. 
but I know a lot in my network love e-learning and we can go back and forth and we can go toe to toe and I just think do I want to do that do I not want to do that do mm-hmm. I want to seclude myself and I think any anyone who's got ideas there's always a risk and anyone who's creative there's always a risk that one you're going to get dampened and dampened you go against the tide constantly mm-hmm. to get your ideas out there and then sometimes you can put a coming out there and then people take it a wrong way or be do the look for a flaw within that yeah. and i guess so let's let's flip it then so l and d what is your ideas on l and d and maybe maybe let's not do it in a, a massive article but just maybe some snapshots so uh, yeah so learning and development as a whole i think there is i think you go to any conference or any meetings or you know, a collection of people that learn development professionals, the general, the, the talk is, as for me hasn't changed since I joined a learning development team. It's always, well, how do we show return investment? Or what's the next, next big thing? And how can we get there? And what's this and what's that? I, I think fundamentally when you, you, you talk to people and you listen to what they say, they do come from a, a place of honesty it's it's a place of integrity i think learning development can be quite uh self-absorbed i think it needs to look needs to look more um out on itself not in on itself because working learning development if you're sat on a table with you know a board or a management team is is learning development the number one topic on that agenda no is it the second on the agenda no and yeah, okay, you know, you might want to put it third, fourth, fifth, whatever. All right, it has a place, and it's great, and it's you know, and and people might say, well, why is he talking like it's about his own, his own industry that he works in? I think we are an enabler for points one, two, three, four. So we, you know, we can enable the business to increase its revenue, you know, increase its customer service satisfaction. We're an enabler. And I think the sooner we accept that position, we can. We can we can move on. I think you know the point you made about e-learning it, it is great. I think the e-learning battle I've you know gone full circle with. No, I don't like it. Or yeah, it does. It serves a purpose. And I think I've fallen fallen into a category of it serves a purpose. I think depending on how your business is set up, depending on the budget of your your function, um, but I think it needs to be used as an option. It can't be the only way to learn. So the only way you're going to learn how to do this is to do this e-learning module. Why? Why is that the only way? Why can't it be more blended? And that's the message. I'm not talking about blended learning here, by the way, guys. So don't don't get twisted. What I'm talking about is, is offering is offering a variety. You know, a pick and mix approach. So I can learn a bit from the e-learning module. I'll learn a bit from the handout. You know, and take it from that way. I think. That's an approach a lot of L&D professionals need to take. I think, you know, we've had discussions before, Danny, around, oh, you know, are we going to use this new technology? Are we going to use this new technology? Are we gonna do this? And, you, and you, I, you know my thoughts on it. My, my thoughts are shiny, shiny, you know, new, new, let's use it. Yeah, I'm not against that. What I am against is using it hook or by crook because the same people that do that are no better or worse off than the people that continue to lose e-learning when it's not valid. So what I mean by that is the the new shiny thing is shiny, it's new, it's great, and it might revolutionize the way we do learning development. But if you use it in a a situation where it's not warranted, you're just as bad as the people that continue to push e-learning when that's not warranted. 
So it is a fine balance, and I think the industry needs to needs to balance itself. You know, the panic around GDPR, for example, and what people are doing around that it is has been has been wild. And I, you know, I just think is I think we need to just take a step back and look at where we're at, where we're going. You know, there's there's always debates around is an LMS needed? Is this needed? Is that needed? Okay, is an LMS needed? Yes or no? We can be here for for days on that. I know your views on that, but what I would say is we do need to be able to measure certain elements. And if that isn't through an LMS and it's through different ways, that's fair enough. But like I said before, it's horses for courses. It's business dependent on what their their values are and what they're trying to get out of it. And I think it's about being respectful for each other's views of the trade. You know, if we say if we were to say we were plumbers or plasterers, all right, we might not have a lot as much to talk about and much debate. But you're gonna have people saying, Well, I'd rather use that mix to mix this wall versus I'll use this method to do that wall. You know, it's not just in learning development where this great debate beckons. I don't think they sit on podcasts and talk about it, yeah. personally, <laughs> um, not in some plasterers. But we're no different to any other, you know, trade or, you know, um, or industry. I just think we've got to be less self-absorbent, look at the business, look at the business we're in, um, and really share more with each other. And I think, we, I think certain elements and pockets of the community do share, but... I'd rather it be a collaborative share rather than I believe this is the way forward, down with e-learning, down with the LMS, down with new ways of working. I think you can take elements and sprinkle it over, over what you're working on. Yeah, I, I guess from from an e-learning point of view, we we were sat at the LPI event. Yeah. Um, and we, we went back and forth and I was like, it's really interesting that the board on there the age of the people on there we're all yep. talking about millennials yet there wasn't one millennial on there yeah it was funny that most of the people on there was releasing a book that seems like me shock horror <laughs> um, don't get me wrong I love LPI I think yeah. I think LPI have got some real good ideas I think you know they're a non-for-profit but still business in a way mm-hmm. um, and same with CIPD I kind of always go back and forth with LPI and CIPD and I guess the reason why I'm talking about that is because, you know, when I looked at the event, there was a lot of e-learning people there. Mm-hmm. So obviously there's a need for it. There's a need for it somewhere. But I guess one of the best pieces of e-learning I've seen was remembered for the theme and nobody can recall the information what was on there. So a, a real good one was this, it was this great e-learning piece and... The theme was amazing. It was so so good. You could. It was like it was like a, a true game. Mm. Um, I'd like a feel of like a, a matrix kind of thing. And it was really interesting. It was like, oh, this is fantastic. It's going to change the world. And the theme and the designer who designed it was was brilliant. However, you recall that information. Nobody could re- recall anything about it. They could remember it at this theme, yeah. but they can't remember any of the information. So I'm like, right, okay, so what value has that served? We've invested a lot of time mm-hmm. into this great piece of e-learning, the design, the flow of it, but actually how many people, fundamentally, it's a tip box exercise to say, all our people are GDPR compliant. Yeah, I think I think it's hard to argue with the point around the, the compliance element. I think there are certain, there are always going to be certain elements of certain roles where you know health and safety or compliance is required, and it does need to be a tick box exercise. And I think in order to keep the costs in line, e-learning is the easiest way to do that. I'm not, I'm not heavily involved in compliance training, so you know, I, can't, I can't give my opinion on it. What I can give my opinion on is the whole, let's sit someone in front of this module, 
get them to you know do a knowledge check at the end <laughs> you know do do we want people just to pass a knowledge check at the end because now if they do that they've passed it and now they know what they're talking about no does it serve a purpose it does serve a purpose it doesn't serve the entire purpose and what I mean by that is it has to be supported. I think if you're going to use e-learning or any solution where you believe it might be a slight tick box exercise, and I think in some organizations, they want, still want to see the numbers, who, who's done it, when did they do it, when did they pass? As long as that isn't the prime source of the learning and there are other things that, you, that can, can, can branch off that, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. So I think, you know, take, take where I am um, at the minute, you know, we're training over 300 partners, you know, they're based all around the UK. Is e-learning the prime method? It's a leading method because it allows us to train, you know, more partners and give them the knowledge that they need. But to, 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 to offset that, we've got supported documentation um, and we're working on um, having a, you know, when you're placing an order or when you're going to do some fault diagnostics, and you don't know what you're doing, rather than contacting us, you can just click, I don't know what I'm doing. It might be called something a bit more better than that. It'll help me, yeah. potentially. Um, and it'll take you through it there and then. A how-to video, for example. I always use the analogy of, if I want to go home tonight, and the wife says to me, can you bleed the radiators? I'm no good at DIY, by the way. Do I go on a plumbing course? No. What I do is I go on YouTube and watch a guy do it, and he shows me. That is where we're at. I think, you know, there's a, obviously you've been to these events before and they say, oh, you know, it's the Netflix of, you know, L&D. That term, it makes me sort of feel slightly uncomfortable. Um, but it needs to be the right learning at the right time. If that's e-learning, it's e-learning. If it's not, it's not. And I think we need to be comfortable with that. You know, I'm not saying it's blended learning. What I'm saying is it's offering a selection. You know, it might be a handout, but if that handout goes into 20 pages, 25 pages, 30 pages, not a handout, it's a book. Yeah. I guess it's the thing of just for me, just in time and just the right amount. And um, and we, we've spoke about this in the past. Yeah. I guess for me, the knowledge checks at the end absolutely don't do anything in my take on things because I think they prove nothing a knowledge check. They prove that you can answer some questions and then you can remove it from your memory. And it's... A, a, and I suppose this comes to the fact of why exams are absolutely pointless. Yeah. An exam. What is an exam? It proves that you can you can cram your knowledge in. Yes. And it proves that you can recall your knowledge. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you ask them to months time reflect upon that, recall it, maybe a bit longer than a month. You won't remember it. It served its purpose for a knowledge check to pass a knowledge check, not to prove a learning. Yeah, it's it's interesting um, because a couple of days ago I was talking with the the guys in the team, sitting next to the sales guys and product guys here, and we were saying, "What do you remember from school? Like, what do you genuinely yeah. remember from school?" And I think we had worked out the different types of um, triangles, so like isosceles triangles, yeah. that type of thing. Um, I think someone said a sentence in French. Someone worked out what pi equaled, only to maybe three point one four two. That was it. And it's right; it's, it, it is that. It's that that type of well, I don't, I you know, I don't remember because that's that's the way you, you're taught is to remember things, and once you remember, them, you can pass an exam. Once you pass an exam, you know, you can go on and do bigger and better things. I think there are better ways of doing it. I think one of the one of the the one of the things that I've been looking at recently is around, you know, on the job, 
doing training. No better example than that is probably your driving test. Yeah. Am I wrong? I think, okay, this element's been brought around. What does this do and what's that do? If I pop the hood of the car outside, I couldn't tell you where half the fluids are meant to go. That wasn't in when I passed my test, but actually doing it on the job, you, you did that. You're driving a car. You weren't pretending to drive a car. You weren't being told how to do a car. You're actually in the car from day one. And that's what I think is, is a concept we could we could use. You know, you could put, you're putting someone in front of you know, in a car doing that job, doing that task from the first lesson. There isn't 10 lessons building up to it, and then you go and do it. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean... Can you see the driving test being done in an e-learning and going, hey, there's your, there's your, there's your driving license? It, it just would not work. No, not its own, but it's interesting because the the theory test is, though, isn't it? Yeah. That, you know, and the theory test is a memory test. Exactly, it is. I mean, it's done. It's done digitally to a certain degree. It's like the stopping distance. Yeah. Of you, you know, what's the stopping distance of you from this distance to that car? I cannot remember that for the life of me. There's a mathematical little workaround to do that, mm-hmm. but fundamentally. Does it train me to go, oh, am I X amount of meters from a car when I need to do an emergency stop? No. I just break, I react to a real life situation, scenario mm. when that happens. Yeah. I yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't disagree. I think, and, and that's why there's, there's other factors in that, you know, how good are your tires? How good are your brakes? Yeah. How are your reactions? I think there's different variables in that. But I think... Going it's a great to, example of that. Yeah, I think the, 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 driving, the driving test and, you know, People being on being on their being on their lessons. We're not messing about it. This person's in charge of a car. Yeah. So, okay, you don't drive Hummers or anything like that. They're mostly <laughs> driving a Micra or a Corsa, so it's going to be you know uh, more dangerous to them than it is to other people. But you know, let, let's take that example for it. You know, we're not letting people do a particular task. You know, to, I don't know, do a particular job because they haven't passed any learning module. We give people that just hand over the keys to a car. Okay, it's dual controlled. But let's think about that for a second. You know, I go back to the point I was making before. What's the worst that can happen? I think we we do need to. It's horses for courses. Um, I don't want to rabble about it, but I think we need to be respectful of the learning that's out there. But really, look at the value it's providing. Is there a better way of doing it? And I think if you if you ask people, is there a better way of doing it? You have to come up with that better way. You can't just say e-learning for me is no good. Yeah. What is the alternative? Um, with using all of the, um, knowing all of the facts, you know, the the, the business, the values, the finances, you know, all of these different things you take consideration. You can't just say e-learning is no good. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I, I, you know that. I know you. I know you know that. But I guess, and you mentioned a good point about the whole magpie syndrome. Oh, shiny new thing. Let me let me use this, and then I'll oversaturate it. Mm. I think you see that quite a bit recently. Everybody wants a chatbot now. Yeah, Don't yeah, get yeah. wrong, I created the chatbot, I used it as a demonstration tool, and I did a whole presentation through a chatbot. Mm-hmm. But I've, I used it just to understand it and understand how I can break it, understand yeah. its limitations. I guess going back to the school thing which you mentioned, for me what you will be able to remember about your school is your teacher's names who made the impact on you. Yeah, yeah, so yeah okay. And it might be the impact, you won't remember all of them. No. Because a lot of them will be grey. Mm. But you remember the ones who made you really happy? Yeah. Are your favourite sessions, your favourite yeah. lessons? And you made the ones who was a nightmare? Yeah, yeah. Mine was my maths teacher. Yeah. Mr. Chadwick. Shout out. <laughs> um, he was he was a top guy. Yeah. Real good guy. Hated his sessions and I hated the way he delivered. Mm. But as a person, he was great. Yeah. And then I had, um, I had a couple of other teachers and one of them was brilliant. It was my English teacher. Which the irony of it is, is I have dyslexia. So she was always struggling. But 
fundamentally, I remember going into, I can remember exactly where her classroom is in the school. I can remember how to get there. I can remember what the sessions were like and everything, how she did things. Yeah. And how she did things fundamentally stood out from the other teachers, how they were doing mm -hmm. things. But this is a reason why we remember our bullies' names when we was in school. Oh, were you bullied, Danny? Yeah. Back back in the day, I was bullied. <laughs> so no, I went, I went bullied, but there was one instance... And uh, I can't remember, it was, I was first year in secondary school. He was fifth year, big guy. And he, for some reason, he picked me up and slammed me into the lockers. That was the only instance where I had to be. Yeah. But I can remember his name, it was John. Do you want to shout out to John? No, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I actually drove past John a while back. <laughs> um, I didn't veer on a, onto the pavement or anything. Um, I, I can't remember the reason why, but I can remember exactly where it happened, mm. how it made me feel, who he was. I remember that I was going into music class. Yeah. And I just think there's more to the, ha the fact of reflecting upon an emotion. Um, you know, our memories, our emotions become our memories. Mm -hmm. And our memories are what we use to recall information. And I think that's the reason why people are remembering GDPR mm -hmm. for the theme. Because, oh, this is good. Oh, this, this feels a little bit different. I remember this. Yeah. I can't remember any of the content, though, which no. is a shame. I guess... And I'm, I, you know, we can put the rights to wrongs of L&D and, mm -hmm. you know, these areas of L&D, which is really fickle. I think my role originally was an experienced designer, experiential designer. And this was, I was doing this before that term come out. I joined a company and that was my label what I was given and nobody was using that label at the moment. And now all of a sudden, these e-learners now are changing their titles to experienced designer. Yeah. And they're jumping on, the newest label, they're jumping on the newest trend. So what you'll see is eventually you'll see these e-learners declining as a job title and everyone will be an experienced designer, but fundamentally they're still e-learning designers. Mm -hmm. And I guess e-learning, yes, it has its it has its need when when needed. I feel like your e-learning shouldn't be longer than fifteen minutes. That is just a rule from what I've kind of always what you know. Yeah. Um But, but it was back to that it was back to the horses for courses yeah, thing, I think. I think it's fundamental. Yeah, it, does. it it does. And I guess it has its need. And, and for a big company, if you need to roll something out to maybe people working on sites or, you know, phone mass or whatever, the one thing what I have noticed is companies tend to go, great, we've got this, we've got this learning, what we need to put out. And I hate, I, you know, we've got this information. Maybe it's not learning. Maybe it's whatever they want to call it. And the first thing I see is, okay, let's do an e-learning. Mm. And it's going back to what you said. It needs to fit the need. It needs to fit the need of the people and the business. And, I guess, shout out to the e-learners is don't just be so fixed mindset. You know, you are designers, but kind of, yeah, just because you do e-learning design predominantly doesn't mean that everything's got to fit in that box. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, we went off on a tangent, Ed. Yeah, man, <laughs> so it's all good. Um, so we've talked about e-learning. I guess what's, and part of, this, part of this podcast is to know more about you. Yeah. And there'll be some random questions here. So 8 to 20 rule, idea is, 20% of my contacts in my phone, I call 80% of the time. The other 80% of my contacts, never really call. So what's your 80-20 rule? What's something what you do, which is a small amount of something, mm -hmm. which gives you the most impact or the most, most information back? And it could be personal or professional. Um, I th I'm going to go with the personal element, I think. It's, it's not network as in professional network. I think it's your friends. You know, I think, f you know, if I think back to, f you know, 
my dad says to me, some, he said this years ago, and it will always, always stick with me, is he'll say, you can probably count your real friends on, fi- uh, on five fingers. Yeah. That's it. On a hand. You've had to say. And, and so I said, well, that's pretty sad, dad. You know, he's like, okay. Well, if, for example, you needed money tomorrow, and you called such and such, would they come? No? Oh, yeah. I think it's maybe like money might be also other form of support. It's those people you can call at four in the morning and say, I'm in trouble, can you help me? Yeah. They're the people. So for me, it's that, you know, there's people that, you know, I still class them as friends, but ultimately when it becomes sort of difficult, are they there? And I think that's what you, that's what you need to look at, I think, in regards to the 80 to 20. I think about the effort they put in with me versus the effort I put with them. I think you've got some, you know, I've got some friends where I haven't seen them for probably four or five years. They've had kids, I haven't seen their kids, they've not seen mine. You know, would you class them as a friend? Well, Facebook says I'm a friend with them, so there we go. We love that, shall we? Not really. I think there's people that you put effort in with and you get as much in as you put back. And I think sometimes you put effort with people that don't give the effort back to you. So therefore, they fall into the other category. I'd say that's where I apply the it's trade rule. Okay. So... If the role what you're in now, let's do it two ways. Let's do it from your experience from L and D and yep. the experience from Zen now. In your L and D role with your L and D head hat on, what two hours of that whole job? Maybe it was the design, the delivery, the the conversations, or this or that, whatever. If I said to so you, can only do two hours of that whole role, which two hours of a role would you pick? So of the role I do now or just an L and D. Let's go backwards first. So we'll go from O to and then to Zen. Um, only could do two hours of it. Probably, I would say facilitation. Okay. So, I think I have this debate quite a bit with a few people who, as soon as you you move up the the sort of the chain in regards to the management levels and more senior within the development, um, you still have to fundamentally, for me, be able to facilitate, deliver training, and you must enjoy it. Okay. I think if you don't, you, you're not in the right job. I think you need that bread and butter of being able to facilitate a session, no matter what the topic, I think for me is is fundamentally the bread and butter of, of any learned development professional's job. Yep. Um, no doubt there'll be a few people listening to this going, that's a lot of nonsense, I love doing this, this and this. That's fine. But what I say is, I think if you're in learning development, you know, strip it all back, facilitation is the point of two hours that I'd take from that. I'd agree, 100%. I firmly believe you cannot be a good designer if you have never delivered. And I would love people to challenge me on this as much as you want, challenge me all day. Fundamentally, if you do not understand how a room engages, how can you design a course? How can you design a a room of training? Mm -hmm. If you don't understand how the room works, how people work, and you can't understand how to adapt and deliver to different people in that room, how can you design for them? you, You just can't do that. Yeah, you can talk to me about, oh, well, let's have a look at the UX and the user interface and all this and stuff. How about you get in the room with people who's going to use that first? Mm-hmm. So 100% with you on that one. Okay, so talk to me for then. So two hours. Um, I'd probably say currently it's going to be around, um, I think, going out and meeting our partners. I think, again, it's the face-to-face element for me so um, I have a lot of conversations over the phone because for geographical 
uh, purposes demands it. Like I'm only a half an hour call with a partner down in London, for example. But I absolutely love being with our partners, speaking to them. What are their business challenges? How potentially can we support them in that? Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to see the partner uh, next month to, to deliver a session around being able to them to, to sell a more advanced product for us. You know, the benefit that will have for them and the benefit that will have for us as a division, if it was to be successful, is it, it, huge. And I think it's that. I think it's that being able to speak to people who are not part of your organization, who you're going to be doing training for, understanding them and understanding how you can pitch the training. So I think it's similar to the, the first example that I gave, but it's around that real training needs analysis with a partner to understand what their business plans are and how you can support them in those. You know, you're not creating them for them. You're not doing change management or anything like that. It is supporting them to enable their staff because they don't have an L&D function, you're being that extension. And I think that's probably the most rewarding job. And have I felt it wholeheartedly as I've been here for that, this amount of time? No, there's been a lot of foundation work that's had to be done. We're getting to that point now. We're talking to partners and saying, what is it we can do to support you? And they're not telling us what the end result is, by the way. They're not saying, well, I'd like a 15-minute learning module on that, uh, please, Mark. No, it's none of that. You know, we still have the true consultancy element back to them. But it's listening. It goes back to the part I was saying before around business people first, L&D people second. That in this role is key to listen and hear what an organization is doing and how you can fundamentally support them. Okay. So let's change the gears again. Okay. So random question. If Mickey's a mouse and Donald is a duck, what's goofy? That's funny because my, my son had Mickey Mouse on this morning. Is it? Isn't Goofy is a is a dog? It's not a dog. Is it, is it a dog? Because I mean, Pluto's a dog, right? Mickey's, you know, Goofy drives a car. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that one with you. So, <laughs> if if we was to kind of, how do you switch off? So we know you know you, you're so busy and stuff like that, and it's kind of everyone's busy, right? Everyone's busy, and are they? Apparently, apparently. Oh, okay. I'm, yeah, apparently. So a lot of people are busy. Okay. And, you know, they've got a perception. Oh, so there's a perception they're busy. Yeah. There yeah. is that. Okay. Listen, just walk around with some books and walk at a fast yeah, pace. Yeah, yeah, fine. yeah. As long as you've got a clipboard in your hand. Yeah. 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 And a pen. You need yeah. a pen. So I guess, assuming everyone's busy, you mm-hmm. know, and you, like you mentioned, you got you got a kid, mm-hmm. your wife, and there's that thing of being able to st- stop work and pick up personal life. Mm-hmm. How, you know, we talk about stress and mindset and well-being and stuff how do you switch off um i think the way i switch off is you know i've got a short short commute so it's only 10 out to 10 miles okay so you can do that in about 40 minutes in this traffic on the m60 you know for me that is the wind down i do a lot of thinking in the car i do a lot of thinking in the shower i do a lot of thinking walking the dog some of that a lot of that is work related but that journey from when i finish here at the office to tra- traveling home that's when I shut down. So the sooner I, it's like, um, it's a little bit like the, the reverse uh, technology of, say, Tardo, for example, where it knows you're getting closer to your house, so it puts your heating on for you. Yeah. My brain sort of knows I'm getting closer to my house, and I need to shut down. Because if you walk in that front door where your son, you're picking your son up from nursery and you see your wife for the first time, and you're taking your, you know, you're taking your your baggage from the day in, that's not good. You need to be able to shake that off. And I'm gonna be honest with you. That has been something that I've had to learn in the last 12 to 18 months. 
because if you go into a hectic environment where you've got you know Harrison you know going to have his bath and you know you, you, the night can go on with itself and if you you're not if you're not fully present that's a problem yeah. and I don't, I don't think I was fully present a lot of the time um, in the first six months okay. and when you blink bang Harrison's two you never get that time back um and one of the things that I sort of said, I'm not, I'm not for New Year's resolutions, new, new year, new, new, new year, new me thing, but it just happened to be at the, around the same time. Is I said that I need to be more present, you know, in in a moment because life goes so quickly that you're gonna wake up one day, you're gonna be 50, you know, I'm balding as it is, do you know what I mean? And I'm 31, and you're gonna be like, what happened? You know, I always said when I was at 21, wow, 30, 30 feels miles away. I'm 31, 40 feels miles away, but it's not. And then I'll be 50. And you've got to weigh up, you know, uh, I'm not saying this, you know, let's, let's live for the, you know, let's live for now and all this type of stuff. But one of the things I always say to my wife is, this is not a dress rehearsal yeah. at all. So have no regrets and just do what you want to do when you want to do it. So to so, so wind down for me, it's been able to do what I want. So, you know, and I've got a you know, great relationship with my wife, Kirsty, in regards to actually watching the football. It's not going so well at the minute. I'm a United fan. Or just going out for the lads and have a drink. Or, you know, it's around switching off. But I think when you've people say I'm busy or I'm stressed or work's getting on top of me, I've got to take some home. Don't get me wrong. There's nights I'll log on and do work. That happens. But that drive home, it has to be a gradual switch down. Once, you, once, that, once my car hits the drive, your your dad, you're not channel development manager. Yeah. So, I guess we know, you know, Harrison. He misses a kind of a, you know your world. Yeah. But what's been your biggest personal achievement? And I, I want personal, not professional. Okay. So my my biggest personal achievement is back in 2016. I <laughs> turned 30, and um, it was a bit like a midlife crisis. I was sat on the sofa with, with Kirsty and I said, I'm going to do boxing. She's like, what? You're soft as anything. There's no way you're doing boxing. So I signed up for an event called White Collar Fighter. Okay. And it was basically eight weeks training. So four weeks you would train as a massive group of people. Uh, you do like, they tried to sort of, you know, make you cry, make you cry with burpees or, <laughs> or whatever. I never, I never, I didn't miss the gym in a long time. I wasn't fit um, whatsoever. And for four weeks, you, you didn't know who you were fighting. And at week four, they went, this is your opponent. And okay. it was proper stare down like the professionals do. And you I will break him. Being the guy, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm going to crush you type thing. And then it all led up then to, to fight night which was at Bowlers in Manchester. People don't know it. It's a big sort of venue. There's over a thousand people there. Friends and family had come. We paid like £25 a ticket. You know, I wouldn't pay £25 a ticket to go watch me fight. But. <laughs> and, it, you know, it was three rounds, two-minute rounds, and I was the second fight on. Mm-hmm. And I trained so hard. I lost about, probably about two stone in the whole entire training. I remember seeing you. I, I remember I hadn't Be seen you for a while. Be careful what you're going to do. I, yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing you. I hadn't seen you for a while. I can't remember why. I think I was working away or something. And then I seen you come in, I was like, sweet baby Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like a different man. Yeah, I, I, I worked really hard and, you know, on fight night, I just wasn't going to be denied. I was going to beat this guy one way or the other. And I beat him, unanimous decision over three rounds. Uh, and people can say, oh, that sounds a bit, that sounds a bit of a strange, you know, 
greatest achievement. Yeah, I could have said becoming a dad, you know, that for me was, is unrivaled. You know, my wedding day, you know, they're probably two standout dates. But this one was, you know, there's no way on this earth I knew what I was capable of before signing up to that. You know, if someone had run to the end of the street, I'd be like, nah, you're all right. Or there was always a stop or a, you know, what marathon runners call it, the wall. Yeah. I hit the wall numerous times during that training and the fight. You know, they always say to you, don't let your adrenaline run, ruin, ruin your fight night. I didn't listen. Within about 30 seconds, I was really heavily breathing. <laughs> um, but when you push yourself to the absolute edge, you, you know what you're capable of as a human being. Yeah. And for me, that was that was the biggest success. And when I'd won, I was really emotional. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I've won, I've won. But after that, I don't think it would have mattered if I won or lost. I think it was the the point of I had put myself in a position to do the best I could I could ever be. You know, I lived like a fighter, I trained like a fighter, you know, I ate like a fighter, I slept like a fighter, everything was a fighter for, 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 for eight weeks. And the reason why it's my biggest achievement is that changed me. From the day I did that, it changed me. You know, I've kept the weight off, I still go to the gym twice a week. Um, but I also have a mindset of when it gets tough, bite down on the imaginary gum shield and say, this isn't as bad as it can be. Yeah, You can get through this and work-wise or personal-wise, whatever that might be, you, you know more what, what you're capable of when you put yourself on the edge of, of, of a situation. And that's what I was saying before about, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah, The worst that could have happened could have been catastrophic really getting into the ring with the size <laughs> thing I got in with but yeah it's that it's pushing yourself I don't like words like comfort zone all this type of stuff but just really really put yourself on the edge and work out what, what, you know, what am I capable of and then when you know what you're capable of truly capable of I don't think there's, there's much stopping you after that okay so let's say there's a big billboard what you can have right outside the zen office Mm-hmm. Okay, and there's lots and lots of people who work here, and on this big zem- this big billboard, you can have any statement you want, anything you want to say, any quote, anything what what's going. On. And the idea is, is that it'll have a butterfly effect, and it will hopefully change the behaviour, maybe of one, maybe of two, maybe of all. What statement or message would you put on there? <sighs> Now bear in mind, this can't be a, a massive paragraph. So you've got really... I'd probably put what animal is goofy. No, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> um, that's, that's, still, uh, that's still driving me mad. Um, I, you know, I think you, you have to say something... You know, I, I, don't, I don't want to be cheesy about it. It could be, I think, win or learn. I think, that, I think it is that. I don't think there's any losing involved. You know, I think you go into a situation, you do your best... And that's one thing I, one thing I want to mention is, you know, I always go into a situation thinking I'm going to win. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I winners. I, people say, oh, you know when they talk about football and they say, oh, he's a winner. Yeah. That's how I describe me, but I don't win every, every time. But what I do do is I, I would learn if I don't win. Okay. And, um, you know, it's like tonight, there's, there's, a, there's a football tournament with work, you know. I will be going into that to win. Yeah. 100%. And... If I don't, then I'd be like, okay, fair enough. What's the reason that didn't happen? And people might say, oh, it's only a five-a-side tournament. Might put yourself together. But it's anything. So if, you know, I might take a strategy to the MD or I might take a plan to, to the management team and it might be, oh, I'm not sure about this, I'm not sure about that. But for me, it's around, okay, it's something thrown out, but what do I learn to make that better? 
And I think people need to go into it honest uh, and wanting to win and wanting to push themselves. And if they don't, that's okay. You know, not everyone has to win. But when you do, when you don't win, you learn, you don't lose, you don't go, I'm not doing that again. Yeah. Next time I'll do it differently. Next time I'll do something differently. So, and these are, you know, these are quick fire round questions. So, so I'll keep them sweet. You don't, you don't no, 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 them. no, no. I want to say quick fire questions right. because I've, I've got a lot I can go through, but you okay. know, if some of these answers are bigger answers, yeah, let's do oh, big okay. answers. But I guess some of them you'll be able to answer quite quick and some you won't. Okay. And this I think is one of them. So give me three people, up and comers, maybe, maybe people who are out there already. And let's do it from an L and D point of view. I know you're not really, you've got two different mindsets. So let's do it from both. L and D people. Who are the three people who are, who are big names who you watch closely at the moment? Uh, and maybe maybe it's newcomers. Maybe it's people who've been in the industry for twenty years. I don't know. I, I'm going to be honest. I, I'm not going to give you three. Okay. I'm not going to give you three because I think three is limiting. I think what I look for when I am looking at learning and development is around what hat I'm wearing at any one time and where that benefit comes from. So at the minute, the hat that I've got on is around sales enablement. Yeah. It's about being close to the business and being relevant um, and understanding where the, the business is going. So for that, you know, I'm quite lucky in the network that I've got. I've got people to turn to with that. So the people I turn to is uh, a guy called Jay, Jay Scrantham. So I, I work with Jay at O2. Um, he's still there now. Um, he works in sales enablement within learning development within uh, a corporate mid-market for O2. Um, I'm literally probably about two or three weeks ago I had a conversation with him for about 40 minutes. Okay. And it was a really insightful 40 minutes and gave me a lot to think about. That is, I don't look at people and go, I want to keep an eye on what they're saying or what they're doing. I, I, I keep it more close to home and, 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 and reach out to people that are in my network and, and bounce off them. I don't think there's three people that I would say um, I keep an eye out for. Um, there's people that I look at, um, potentially, do I follow them, do I not follow them? Um, I, 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 wouldn't, I think I wouldn't say... I follow anyone with, with great interest. I don't say, oh, I wonder what they're doing. I, I think I'll just look at people that are in my network who I can talk to on a, on a basis. They know me, I know them. Um, and yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really keep an eye out for, for people in particular. Okay, cool. What's a kind of, what are your three, and I say three, but again, don't, you know, don't limit it to that. What's your, and, you can, and Google can't be one. Okay. What's your free resources you're using right now to learn? Um, three resources that I'm Again, learn. don't have to be free. It's just I like free as a number. No, no, no. Um, I think something that I'm big on uh, at the minute is LinkedIn. You know, some people don't use it right. You know, I don't want to see, you know, this inspirational quote here, this inspirational quote there. But I think there are there are things that are there, and you go, oh, okay, yeah, I didn't think about that before. Um, other resources that I'm using, I like to look further afield. I always like to look and learn development. I think that's one big advice that I'd give to anyone who you know wants to succeed, 
or be more successful. I'm not saying I am successful. I'm just saying um, tools that I use. I think, you know, look at what businesses are doing in regards to the way that they're working. You know, what tools can you use for planning, for example? Um, so using planning tools. Um, and there, was a, there was a really good one. And I'm not going to try and second guess who it was from. I think it might be from Amazon, actually, where... <laughs> You treat your you treat your the way you plan your time like you would your kitchen. So okay. the thing that is absolutely one hundred percent needs your focus is on the front burner. So that you're stirring that, that doesn't burn, doesn't catch. You've got a second one at the back which is still there, but it's just gonna bubble away nicely. You don't okay. need any real focus on that. You've got the chopping board, you've got the sink, you've got the fridge, you manage it like that. That's sort of a bit of a a method which I'm sort of trialing at the minute. Probably people listen to this now screaming, saying, well, you missed some out, you missed some out. But as I say, it's on your trial. Um, and I have, this is probably, this is quite cliche actually around what I'm using at the minute. It is, I'm doing, looking at a lot of TED, a lot of TED talks, simply because around, around some of the topics that are on there, I think a lot of stuff around leadership, being authentic, um, all of those things around the meaning the reason why we do things okay. is, is quite big. Um, that That's one that I'm using. And, and probably the last one that I'm, I'm using, it's not a particular tool as such, and it's not Google, just to, just to there are other ones out there, you can use Bing, um, <laughs> is, uh, is looking at what's next, where do I go from here? So, you know, where where do I where do I hang my hat for the next couple of years? Do I hang, hang it in, you know, you mentioned them before, CIPD camp, you know, the uh, performance institute where do you hang your hat you know where's the value for me as a professional where do i go next in regards to uh, the resources that they can offer um i had a taste of you know, the lpis we talked about but you know we've, we've you know, met with the cipd before um it's around what are they doing for the industry and where is there the credibility within there around me for me to get the best resources and support um and that's what i'm looking at next yeah i think cipd research is really good I think LPI's research tends to be quite, quite um, crowd-funded. Mm. You know, a lot of it tends to be in a survey, and then they push them, them stats out. So, when, you know, what is something where you've kind of recently? What's something what you've learnt recently? And it, non-professional. Non-professional. What's, yeah. Okay. What's something what you've learnt recently? And how did you do it? How did you learn it? What have I learnt recently? And is it could be anything it don't have to be so recent it could be, it, it could literally be you know the next the last thing you remember doing where it was you learning something a skill a technique a, i don't know anything and how did you do it uh yeah this is probably gonna sound quite cheesy i think but i think no one teaches you how to be a dad i think that is the no one teaches you how to be a parent i always remember when you get back with your child after the hospital and you get home and you, and you sit there and you're looking at him or her and you go, what do we do next? And I'll never forget that first night we took Harrison home. Kirsty went to bed and I was like, I've got this, don't you worry. We're going to crack open a bottle of, uh, bottle of champagne to celebrate the <laughs> son coming home. I think United versus Liverpool was on the telly uh, in the Europa League. And Kirsty went to bed and about half an hour later, all hell broke loose. <laughs> you know, he was crying, I didn't know what to do. 
Uh, I, I think very from, from that moment, I think it came quite real that I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and what is what is great about being a parent, and I share some conversations that that, that I have here with people, is we both we, we all have the same problems. You know, we're not sleeping for long periods of time. Um, you know, there's different challenges. Um, you know, when do you take the sides off the cot? You know, he's two now. Do we keep him trapped there for forever so he doesn't get out in the middle of the night? No one ever teaches you that, and I think that is probably the biggest learning curve any human being can go through quite okay. frankly okay so how did you do it how did i do it uh, winning or learning and um, i'll just bring it back to that i think you know i don't read a book around how to parent you don't look at the people you look at the foundation your parents gave you yeah which i had a quite a good you know a really good one with my mum and dad and you take uh, hits and tips from there ultimately you try and do it your own way you know, I've had great support from my wife. You know, she is a natural, uh, a natural mum. Okay. Um, and I've been able to, to sort of look look towards her. But one thing I'll never forget is when I when Kirsty was going out for a night out, and some of the lads said, "You come out for a beer, you come out for a beer," and I used the the term, "No, sorry, guys, I'm babysitting tonight." And then I quickly <laughs> learned you don't babysit your own child. Yeah. Remember that, all right? That's a piece of advice that I'd give. <laughs> is you know, you being a dad, and I, I think. You just learn on the job. You, you know, you learn that you know different ways to put a nappy on or things not to do, and uh, just you know, you still learn every single day. You know, we're now coming to the terrible twos. How do you manage tantrums and potty training and all that type of thing? It will, it will always be. Every day will be a school day. I think when it comes to to being a dad. Awesome. So, I guess a couple more questions, and then we're pretty much wrapping up. So let's pretend you can fast forward to you being eighty years old. Yeah, so the 80-year-old you is sat there and they're trying to scream. They're giving you advice because they're older now. What's one bit of advice they're giving you right now while you're still struggling to take? Um, Deep, right? I think chill out. Okay. I think calm down, take a breath. I think one of the pieces of feedback that I constantly get is stop you know not everything is a drama not everything is 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 on fire you know let's just let's just calm down and i think the biggest piece of advice that i probably would give myself um being being 80 if i do live that long i don't know if i will uh, the lifestyle i have um is i generally you know you know calm down take a deep breath look around you and then it's that is this the worst thing that's going to happen no and i think you know i think be less emotional the emotion out of it um and just sit back and be more maybe be more balanced i think that's what I would, the advice would be okay cool so i asked you to give me some qu- uh, numbers at the start you did yeah yeah so here's the thing you're on a desert island yes yeah and these numbers represented an item on a list what i have okay so your numbers are tailored to this an ice cube a slipper a picture frame some toothpaste and a sponge you're on a desert island. What do you do with these items? Well, the ice cube is a difficult one. I'd probably say I'd probably have to. Uh, I'd probably have to consume that quite quickly. I'm assuming if it's going to be a, a hot desert island. Yeah. Um. What was the the second one? Slipper. Slipper. I'd probably have to cut that up uh, and make a hat because I, I'm I'm terrible in the sun. 
Okay. If you ever see my picture, I'm, I'm definitely, uh, I'm definitely too white for the sun. So uh, that would be a hat to keep the the, the, the head in check. Okay. Um, toothpaste was the other one. Yeah. Well, it's not going to be great, is it? Do you know what I mean? Desert island. So I, I think using that sparingly to to keep to keep me uh, me, me, me fresh fresh would be uh, <laughs> would be a, would be one I'd use. And then you've got a picture frame and a sponge left. Um. I'd probably use the picture frame and the sponge together. So, I don't know, actually. Would I use the sponge for its natural purposes? I don't know. I'm trying to think back to uh, Tom Hanks. I might put a face on it and talk to it, maybe. Okay. On the sponge. It could yeah. be maybe friend, maybe. Okay. Long question. Sp- branch question. What would you call it? Uh, well, it's got to be SpongeBob, isn't it? SpongeBob. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be. And um, the picture frame... I'd probably do it to reflect the light, maybe, and start a fire. Okay. Um, I say that's possible. I don't know if it is. Okay. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> so, I guess just wrapping up now. Um, so, Zen. Tell me what Zen can offer to people who are listening. What can Zen offer? I think, uh, you know, this is, this is a, a fantastic company fantastic company that puts you know its staff its customers its suppliers first that that's what we talked about before um that that is the, the, the fundamental values of the company i think what can zen, zen offer i think zen could offer an alternative in the marketplace you know we are constantly winning which awards you know for customer service and i'm talking 97 percent, 94 percent, 95 percent you know versus other companies uh, down in the 60s the 70s the 50s the 40s you know this is an award-winning place award-winning service um you know and, and that's reflected in the certain service you get the product you get i think for for our partners i think you've got a division which is easy to do business with it's a division where we want to support you you know we only grow as fast as you can grow so it's in our interest to have you know, people invested in your business um, to help you and support you along the way. And I think, ultimately, I think Zen for Rochdale, local, I'm not local to Rochdale, but Zen is, it is there's a lot in the environment, a lot for the local uh, community. I think that's what Zen can offer. It's, a, it's definitely a, a giving back organisation. Okay, two questions and then we are done. Okay. I asked you at the start, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yep. Fundamentally, we're constantly always growing. Yes. And they're growing, they're learning, and we never really grow up. So, same question what I asked you at the start, knowing that you never stop. What do you want to be when you grow up? What do I want to be when I grow up? Um, I think the next couple of years for me it is an interesting one. I think people are always scared to say they're going to move on to an organisation. Um, I think I I would have ambitions to potentially own my own business. Um, doing what, doing what, when, where, I don't know. I have I like the the idea of being my own boss. Um, fundamentally, is that a reality? I, I don't know. Um, so, so doing something owning my own business or being in charge of more of my own destiny would be something I would like. Okay. And so wrapping up quickly, where can people find out a bit more about Mark Howard? Where can they go? So um, I'm on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn, 
I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, um, all of those things. Um, you can email me directly, which we, sh- we can share that as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, why have I done this with you? Well, you're quite forceful for one. Uh, two <laughs> is, you know, I do have a network, but there's untapped, untapped network out there. I want people to get in contact and the things we've talked about today, I want people to challenge me. I want people to say, I disagree with this point, I agree with this point. Um, and ultimately get in contact. And I think that's the one of the reasons why I've done this um, fundamentally. Or you can call the office directly and speak to me. I'm, I'm open to that role. Awesome. Hey, cheers, Mark. Thanks cheers, Danny. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah. Yeah.